Kids shows don't teach kids anything, man. They don't. They don't. And it's not that I hate these shows. It's just I think that they should have a good moral, you know, a good lesson. It's important for kids. And most of the time, they don't even, they don't even have a good lesson. Like in this one episode of Peppa Pig, right? Peppa and her friends get their faces painted like tigers. Now, what lesson are kids meant to take from that? Because to me, that looks like a bunch of middle-class animals <laughs> getting their faces painted and pretending to be an endangered minority <laughs> whose experience they can't possibly understand. Now, is it me? Or did Peppa Pig just make a metaphor about doing blackface? It's kind of true, like it's all fun and games, but Terry Tiger wasn't invited. Captain, my captain, uh, with me, Mark Olver, and the wonderful Mr. Ricky Macindo. Hi, Ricky. Hi, Mark. How's it going? It's good to be back. You know what? It's good. Now, let's talk about this. Uh, series two or season two? What are you thinking? Oh, see, I'm not a British man, so I do like season two. I am more cute to that. Like, because I feel like series sounds like a whole show, kind of. Because I prefer season. Well, yeah, and you know what? As you've established on the, I think the last episode, we do have an international uh, listenership for this. Yeah, exactly. So we shouldn't be so parochial and go... Uh, a ghost series. Fine, absolutely. Okay, one moment. Uh, <laughs> hi, welcome to season two of Oh Captain, My Captain, or Oh Captain, My Captain, season two. two. Oh, I like that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds good with like a hyphen at the end. Yeah, yeah, Captain Oh Captain. Now, how about this? This is the other thing I was thinking. How about chapter two Ooh. or volume two? Ooh. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I know. We could start calling them chapters and not episodes, and then the whole thing could be a volume. No, you can't do each episode as a chapter if this is chapter two. Okay. Sorry, I don't read books. My bad. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't read? (laughs) I don't read. I'm an audiobook. Like, do you? What is your other cultural input like do you because you like because we talk about comedy a lot yeah you're not yeah. really into football nah. we talked a bit about music yeah. um uh so me like all around this house books comic books yeah films uh i've got calvin and hobbs oh. uh, the ultimate collection here what yeah. what is your other cultural input apart yeah. from comedy so my biggest one probably is anime. I'm a big absolute oh, nerd. Yeah. yeah, for anime. Yeah, just nerd, nerdy culture generally, but more like I like comics. I know what happens in comics, but I've never like as in superhero comics, but I've never sat down and read an actual comic. But like I watch I've watched all the Marvel movies, all the Star Wars movies. I've watched loads of anime. Uh, and yeah, yeah, I mean, but the thing that doesn't make me sound like an absolute nerd is I love audiobooks. That's the big one. Sorry, did you just say the thing that doesn't make you sound like an absolute nerd? Well, okay, let's say it doesn't make me sound like a geek. It makes me sound like a nerd. Okay, okay, there you yeah, go. The slight difference. Oh, okay, so more audiobooks than uh, than actual written books. Yeah, yeah, I just, I just don't know what it is. I just don't have the patience to sit there and just read for hours on end. 
I read so much when I was a kid. And then when I started doing my GCSEs, stopped. A-levels, <laughs> stopped. Degree, stopped. When I was having to read for uni and college, stopped. And then as soon as uh, it all finished, started reading again. So I think it must be a thing that kind of... For pleasure, I'm yeah. quite happy to. Yeah. But for everything else, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a listener. Like I like to listen to things being explained to me. That's the best way that I take things in. Like I can't read a textbook and understand what it's saying. I have to have someone tell me and then explain it to me. Oh, okay. Well, I say let's go for chapters. I say let's go chapter two. Let's go. Oh, Captain, my Captain, Chapter Two. Uh, welcome. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, wherever you are, uh, let us know if you're listening. Um, because so, this uh, this podcast is not topical. The idea of this podcast is that people are able to listen to it. Um, wherever whenever you want to find out about comedy you want to do comedy uh the comedy circuit is coming back and when and if the comedy circuit is still here in 10 years time 15 years time mm -hmm. a lot of this stuff will still be relevant you can listen to this uh the last chapter of mm. uh oh captain my captain the next chapter is oh captain my captain all the different podcasts all the different episodes all of the time but this one is different and yep. the reason this one is different is because we are recording this on Monday, the 24th of May, 2021 at uh, 10.42 in the morning. And the reason I'm incredibly specific about that is because this is the day after Ricky and I did our first stand-up gigs for the first time in about six months. Yeah, yeah. A little bit longer than that because of the pando and the lockdown and all that sort of stuff. And we are talking today specifically about coming back to stand-up. So yeah. everything else is topical. This one, uh, everything else isn't topical. This one is topical. Ricky, how was it? Oh, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. And like, I literally didn't even realize how much I missed it until I went on stage and I was like, oh, fuck, attention. Everyone's looking at me. This is yay. Like, it was just it was just such a rush. But yeah, I'm just glad to be back. I uh, we're going to talk to Joe Lysit today because Joe Lysit uh, is a friend of mine, an amazing comic, uh, amazing presenter, amazing artist. Like the boy can do everything and anything. He's mm. absolutely incredible. And he had his first gigs back uh, this weekend as well. And I thought it'd be really great to talk to two people at different levels, at different spaces in the comedy world, but who are sharing that coming back to comedy thing mm. uh, this weekend. Mm. So we're going to talk some of the specifics about it during the episode and during the interview. But I wanted to ask you, was there anything that you did last night? Was there anything that, because I watched you, I was comparing. Was there anything that you did that you thought to yourself, that has come from the podcast? That has come from, oh, Captain, my Captain. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. Like, uh, I mean, I could go through pretty much every single episode. I I'd use at least one thing. Because when you asked me that question, I kind of thought about it before. And it's like, from the writing perspective, I think the episode that influenced me the most was Nish's episode. Because okay, yeah, because especially when he's when we were when I asked him about his Coldplay joke where he takes 
a concept and then takes all the meat off the bone, like his uncle. Um, I essentially did the same thing, but with Peppa Pig. Um, so I just took that concept and I was like, why do I find this funny? And I just took as much as I could from it. And then I wrote around that. But there were things from each episode that I took, like like with John, when he was like, uh, really bombing, you kind of should just not worry about it because if something doesn't go well, you need to try and find a skill in making bombing funny. Because I had a joke yesterday that just did not work for whatever reason. And I was just like, fuck it. I'm just going to laugh at the fact that that was an awful joke and we carry on. Yeah, there's pretty much at least one thing from every episode. I wanted to talk to you about the Peppa Pig stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, because I think I asked that question, what did you learn? Thinking that the Peppa Pig stuff was going to be the thing that we would talk about. Weird. Yeah, and yeah. as soon as you mentioned it, I was like, oh, brilliant. I was right. We, uh, so I was there. You did... I think you did almost completely new stuff. Yeah, there wasn't yeah. much I'd heard on stage before. Some of yeah. the stuff you did, I think we might have talked about on the podcast or talked about in live. You did something about a man shitting in your hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Pepper Pig stuff was the thing that really interested me. Yeah. Now, let's talk about hack. Yeah. Do you know what the phrase, what, when I say hack, what does that mean to you? We've never mentioned this in the podcast before. So I don't know if you talked to other comics about that or friends of yours. What do you know by hack? Interesting. That's a good question. Um, so I've definitely heard it being used before and never in a positive way. It essentially means when something is derivative, I guess. So it's not original. It's uh, like it comes from somewhere else and it's not necessarily copying. It's just not inspired, I guess. Yeah, that's how I would interpret yeah, it. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of defining hack. Yeah. Um, hack comics, hack material. Oh, that's a bit of a hack joke. Yeah. It sort of means not necessarily that you're specifically copying someone yeah. or uh, um, plagiarizing yeah. another comedian. It's just airline food, uh, <laughs> drugs. A lot of people will go, oh, that's a bit hack. Yeah. Oh, look at that. That's a bit hack. Now, and the reason I bring this up is because a lot of people would say jokes about Peppa Pig are a bit hack. Interesting. A lot of people have got stuff about Peppa Pig. Peppa Pig is a really good example of, because also hack can change. Yeah. So when something is current, I remember when uh, uh, Big Brother started on Channel 4 years ago. Yeah. Loads of people started having Big Brother stuff. And it was like, oh, after a while, it was just, oh, God, that's a bit hack, isn't it? Yeah. You know, because loads of people had it. Yeah. Now, this is the thing. There are hack subjects. Yeah. There are subjects that can feel like they are done to death. Yeah. Um, and as a compare, and as someone who often makes it up while I'm chatting to people, I am absolutely guilty of being hack <laughs> quite a lot. Okay. Um, 
if I see someone with a skateboard or that haircut, I will assume that they smoke the doobie. Uh, if I uh, see someone, if I see a couple together, I will maybe do the hack comment of kind of, uh, are you going to propose to each other? Uh, who said I love you for like a lot of what I do in the moment is hack. Yeah. Um, but that's simply because it's in the moment. Yeah. 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 Personally, I don't necessarily think, and I'm just about to contradict myself, I don't necessarily think there are... Ha and by the way, just to let you know, all of this is building up to a compliment. So stay oh, with me. Oh, wow. Peggy, <laughs> <laughs> you are shit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I don't think there are necessarily hack subjects. I just think there are lazy ways of talking about certain subjects. And actually, that's probably it. Hack probably is just another word for being a bit lazy. Mm. And as a combat, I absolutely, and warm up, I absolutely am quite lazy a lot of the time. The Peppa Pig stuff, on the surface, people would go, oh, that's a little bit hack. But the way you did it, the way you, you took everything out of it, was absolutely not hack. Like, I thought it was a brilliant reading of Peppa Pig. Now, I'm I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be careful here, and you can do it if you want. I'm gonna be careful here to not give away punchlines and not give away all that sort of stuff. If you don't want to, but if you want to, absolutely brilliant. But the way you spam Peppa Pig around, yeah, I thought was brilliant. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was, uh, it was just came from, it just came from like, like what we were saying when, um, I think it was Jimmy asked me what my comedy is. It was like the things that I experienced day to day. And like, all of that was true that these are all the experiences that I've had when I'm looking after my niece. Like, I won't say how I made the connection, but like, I essentially found a way to link Pepper Pig with the idea of doing blackface. And I I have been trying for so long to make the concept of blackface funny on stage <laughs> so many times. Like I have these round glasses and I was saying this joke so many times that just wasn't working, which was like my, when I wear my round glasses, I look like Harry Potter doing a very convincing blackface. And that wasn't funny. So I was trying to find a way to do it. And then contrasting it with something like Pepper Pig was finally the thing that I managed to find but yeah it was uh yeah it was just it was literally from niche just trying to find the funny thing and there was a bunch of stuff that i wrote that was not funny that i thought was funny in the moment but then when i re-listened to it i was like no there is no joke here that's a really interesting thing uh the harry potter thing again i've done it lazy i've mm. seen people uh in studios with the round glasses. I remember once in the last leg I was doing the warm up and there was a guy who had the Harry Potter round glasses hair, but he had uh, sort of the Harry Potter hair, but he had loads of tattoos. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, that's like if uh, Harry Potter joined Slytherin and he got a massive <laughs> laugh. Everyone yeah. really liked it. And then when the laugh died, this bloke went, oh, that's funny. I went to QI once and that's exactly what Stephen Fry said to me. <laughs> of course. Of course. Now that would be a little bit hack but because mm. Stephen Fry said it I was like I owned it and I was like well great minds think alike I'm happy <laughs> with that <laughs> don't yeah. worry about that yeah um but 
so taking the idea of I look a little bit like etc cetera, etc cetera, is a little bit hack as a mm. joke structure. Yeah. But if you spin it out and to make it something slightly more interesting, doesn't matter if that's a hack joke structure because the thing you've put on top of that is really fun and more interesting and not lazy. And the fact that you thought about the Peppa Pig stuff, a lazy comedian might just go, uh, I watch uh, Peppa Pig with my, uh, with my niece. Uh, the audience would laugh because they'd recognize Peppa Pig and you'd go, she's a prick. And then you'd move on. <laughs> <Do you know? laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because it was, uh, I think that was the first, that was actually genuinely the first joke that I read, that I wrote premise first. Like every other joke that I've ever written has been punchline first, then how do we get to the premise? But it was, uh, it came from me watching Peppa Pig. Essentially the entire premise, it's like a three, four minute thing is me talking about how children's television is actually not that good for children. And then I had that thought and I was trying to think, how can I communicate this the best way possible? And how can I think of a way to make it better than make it so ridiculous that I've made it worse? So that that was like the thinking and then I just built around that. But yeah, it was, uh, it was yeah, for months and months of watching mindless colors and counting. And is that the first time you did it on stage? Yeah, time? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I wrote that. I wrote that routine over the last month. So, like, so what I essentially did after the podcast is, while we were recording, I was like, I'll think of premises, things that I might find funny, whatever. I'll write them down. And then when I went home over the Easter holiday, I was looking after my niece. And then I was like, oh, fuck all this shit. This Peppa Pig woman needs to go down. And then I used some of the techniques that like we talked about in the podcast. And then I wrote the entire bit. And talk to me about actually writing it. Did you actually write, did you get a piece of paper and put the words Peppa Pig on a piece <laughs> of paper in a circle with lines going, like, did you do it like that? Or was there another process? So it was, so it was basically while I was watching it, I was thinking about things about it that I found funny. And then after I thought about all the things, I wrote them down on a, a Google Doc. And then once I found all the things that I found funny, I made like a punchline for each one. And then I said it to, so instead of writing the joke out, I then said it to myself. And then I was trying to find the way to get the rhythm, like the comedic rhythm from it. And then from there, I realized what I was essentially saying was, oh, why do we show children this bullshit TV essentially? And then I made the entire routine from that. It's honestly, I think it's my first actual thick bit where I'm saying something like I'm actually trying to make a point because usually I'm just more I make jokes based on topics, but not really. There's no point to what I'm saying. I'm just trying to be funny. Yeah, no, absolutely. And what you'll notice and may and uh, over the course of uh, this uh, chapter of this podcast, we'll probably talk about Peppa Pig quite a lot, uh, yeah. simply because um, it'll be very interesting to see uh, your journey with her, the two of you <laughs> holding hands as you do other gigs, as that bit becomes better or that gig becomes worse, or you do it and you're like, oh, I did it last night and no one laughed, or you did it <laughs> and you've decided not to do it anymore. Or And I think that's quite an interesting 
uh, that's something that I'm. I think I want this this podcast to be yeah. is to look at you doing all that stuff, and because you'll find extra jokes in it. I I sometimes think that jokes and routines are a little bit like an accordion. Yeah, like you, they kind of they stretch out, they come back in again. You get more from them, you get less from them until yeah. you sort of find that that perfect thing. But then even that perfect thing isn't just set in stone because mm. sometimes you might be asked to do 10 minutes or five minutes or three minutes. Sometimes that, that Peppa Pig routine will become an hour in Edinburgh where your poster <laughs> is Ricky Macindo dressed as Peppa Pig. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then, but other times uh, we might discover that that simply becomes a 90 second bit of a routine uh, that just kind of everything else is much better or works better. So that bit just exists on its own. Yeah. But, so, so jokes can become everything and they move and they, and they spin around, which is quite exciting. Yeah. Now, even last night, like that happened a bit because uh, in my head, when I was writing the joke, I thought I was going to be performing it to people who would be my generation's parents. So like in their 50s or whatever, like I'm ex like they have watched Peppa Pig with their children because because but then what ended up happening is because the audience was so young, I was actually telling it to people who watched it when they were kids. So it, it had like it stopped being like, oh, these them kids and what they watch. And it ended up being like, do you remember when we used to watch this show and we actually used to enjoy it? Like it changed just because it had to for the audience. That's brilliant. I'm glad. I'm really glad. And I'm also glad that it sort of shows that uh, this stupid podcast <laughs> has uh, has an actual purpose, I yeah. suppose. Um, I, don't, I don't know how useful it is using your own podcast to market your own podcast. Um, <laughs> because if you're listening to this, I sort of assume you've already listened to the podcast. But if you haven't, then go back and listen to some of those other podcasts. But you, but you think the Nish one, the Jimmy one, yeah. they, they were quite good at kind of helping you, helping your brain focus on that particular bit. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think I... I've definitely took something from each of them. I remember the, the thing that I've been saying to myself the most, or the one quote that I've heard is the one that Angela said where she was like, your comedy is not necessarily the comedy that you like. And then after she said that, I was like, oh, duh, of course it's not. Because <laughs> then, because I, I kind of realized after thinking about what makes me funny is I'm not, I'm not Dave Chappelle. Like, let's not mess around here. I am, I am not, I am not like this Bugs Bunny, charismatic, like sarcastic person. I am a, look at me, isn't this funny kind of person. So it's like, after I realized that I was like, oh yeah, I'm just going to try and be funny and not try and copy anyone else and try and do what they do essentially. Brilliant. Well, it was amazing. It was a really fun gig. I felt incredibly old. Uh, <laughs> there were lots of moments during the gig when I was like, oh shit, my references are not your references. <laughs> um, um, oh, well, this is exciting. Hello. Uh, we were gonna, I was going to do an introduction, uh, but we're still recording. And the wonderful Mr. Joe Lysett has popped in the room. Hello there. I've just popped in. Hi, mate. Hello. Hello. Um, Hi, Jasper. Nice to meet you. <laughs> um, so uh, I, you may notice that uh, that I am also Matt Ewins. Yes. Hello, Matt Ewins. Nice um, to see you. Uh, Ricky Masindo has stolen his flatmate's Zoom. Yeah. Uh, but you are Joe Lysett being Joe Lysett. Hi. Hi, Matt Ewins. 
Um, you're Ricky. Sorry, I didn't yeah. know who I was who I was meeting. Oh yeah, no, uh-huh. you've got Ricky Masindo who has stolen Jasper's identity. Mark Olver has stolen Matt Ewan's identity. And Joe Lysett has stolen Joe. Well, ironically, <laughs> for the year that you've had, the only person being himself is Joe Lysett. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's been a year where I've not always been Joe Lysett. And um it's nice to be back, Joe Lysett. I prefer him. I like him as well. <laughs> you are still in my phone as Hugo Boss, but... That, I know, I like that as well. I've been changed, actually, in one of my friend's phones because when I got the vaccine, I posted it on Instagram and uh, somebody described me, uh, said that I shouldn't be promoting the vaccine and that I was a foot soldier of tyranny. <laughs> 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 so I'm now listed in my friend's phone as um, foot soldier of tyranny. Oh, that's oh, nice. It's nice. It is. Unfortunately, all of us are foot soldiers of tyranny. Um, I think we've already started, so we might as well just start. Joe, so I don't know if you... So basically, I am uh, Robin Williams in Good Will Hunting. I am uh, Michelle Pfeiffer in Dangerous Minds. I am Ricky's inspirational teacher mentor. Um, and then I get in supply teachers like yourself uh, to help with particular subjects. Great. Well, happy to happy to be a supply teacher. My um, sidekick on my TV show, Mark Silcox, is an actual supply teacher, and he <laughs> he talks very openly about the fact that they don't want to learn and I don't want to teach. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I do want to. Well, I don't want to teach. I just um, I find talking about stand up particularly, I learn way more talking to other people about it than I ever do, like. Um, doing it sometimes, uh, you know, I find it very um, uh, edifying being asked questions about stand-up. Well, this is good because I all I want to talk about is because we all came back this week. So uh, yeah. people can listen to this podcast at any time, but this one is all about this weekend. So Ricky and I did a gig together last night, Mr. Walks in Bristol. Um, How was it? How was it? <laughs> yeah, here we go. So oh. this is it. Uh, Ricky, you start. Oh, it was so much fun oh, being back. <laughs> being back. Like, I, I honestly forgot how much I missed it. And I forgot how much I missed, like, Mark's nonsense on stage just listening to it. <laughs> like, um, yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. Like, it was also, it's like, I kind of forgot how, like, how much I enjoyed it because for the last month or so, it's kind of just been the work of writing a new five, 10 minutes and then performing it on stage. But then when I got there, I was like, oh, this is why I do it. And it was just like a great experience again. How long have you been going, Ricky? Yes, I mean, it's such a debatable number because technically, (laughs) technically I've been going since like July of 2019, but then we had the old global pandemic. So I've I've essentially done twenty three gigs. Like that's the best way to count. Yeah, I've always told um, Mick Ferry. Always told me he's um, like a stalwart of the comedy scene. Fucking funny man. Um, he told me that you don't know what you're doing until you've done at least a hundred gigs. Mm. Like I just have no idea what you're doing. I would argue it's more like. 10,000 gigs. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't have any clue uh, what I'm doing. But um, 
Yeah, so 23 is a good number, though. That is, and yeah. But it, I, I imagine you sort of almost feel like you're starting again, having not, um, not gigged for so long. It's a weird feeling because it's kind of like, in some ways, because I've been going for such little time, I feel like I haven't lost anything because I never gained anything like yeah, in my yeah. in my talent. So it's like it's kind of a good thing and a bad thing. But it's just been it's just been weird because I feel like every time I stop for these like months and months, I kind of change massively as a comedian because yes. I just I just have time to rethink everything that I'm doing and throw stuff away. Yeah. So good. the last gig you did before, you, a couple of Zoomy things, a couple of work in progress things, but as a real gig, Ricky, the last one w- would have been what? Beginning of November? Uh, yeah, like, I think it was one in December. Yeah, because I, I went to Brighton in December when it was, because uh, Bedford was tier two and Brighton was tier two. So I just, there's a straight train down. So I just went down there and then did a gig, uh, like a kind of a new material-ish night. And that was one of my first one indoors as well. <laughs> so, the, oh yeah, because Ricky's done nearly every single gig outside. <laughs> oh God, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. what about you, Joe? When was the last one you did before the weekend? Uh, August. I thought it was July, but I worked that. In fact, I'll, I'm going to have a look at my diary and remind remind myself exactly. But it was August last year. It was at the Regent's Park Open Air Theatre, and it was on the 24th of August. And I did two back to back. I hosted, and it was all very last minute. I wasn't planning on doing any stand up at that time, but um, Jimmy Carr was meant to play there that night, and he had to pull out for. Oh, he had to pull out because uh, he hadn't worked out. Oh, it was something to do with a quarantine thing. He'd gone to Dubai and then hadn't quite realised that when he got back from Dubai, he'd have to quarantine. So um, he couldn't do that show. So I swooped in and um, and did a kind of a Joe and Friends with Ashling B did one. Um, uh, Nathan Caton. There, were lo- there was loads of good eggs on. And um, the first one, because that's the longest I'd gone at that point without doing stand-up. It's probably, oh, would have been February time. So getting off for six months, and I've never done a six-month stint without doing stand-up since I started. Mm-hmm. And that first show, God, I was so ropey. I properly didn't know what I was doing. I was like, how does this work? You know, I was like stumbling over myself all over the place. But then because we just finished that show and went straight into another one, the second one, I was like, ah, I'm back and I can do it. And I feel yeah. like, you know, I felt really good about it. So, um yeah, that that was that was really fun, and it made. But this gap is like it's closer to eight months now. August so to... even longer, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and I didn't feel as ropey. Uh, definitely that first link on the first, or that first. Um, what do you call it? It's not a link, is it? First section when you're comparing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was ropey, and um, Alistair, who is the manager at the Glee enjoyed telling me that that I was ropey after I'd been on, um, <laughs> as, as he does, uh, which is why I love playing the Glee, because they, they spare me no um, airs or graces. Oh, do you know what? I think I might try and get Alistair as a guest on the podcast oh, one day, because I'm, no one has seen more stand-up. And I'm frankly, I can't... There are a couple of people that I really want Ricky to meet for the first time via the podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> one of them is Adam Bloom. Yeah. And yes. one of them is... Uh, and one of them is Alistair from The Glee. Yeah. I want, <laughs> I want Ricky's first impression of... Alistair is the... Um, 
the boss, not the owner, <laughs> but the boss of the Glee clubs. Yeah. Um, and he's incredible. And he, he's, funnier, uh, he's funnier than I think anyone that's ever played the Glee. <laughs> he has these amazing stories. Yeah. Just the, the 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 strangest dressed man uh, in comedy, uh, incredibly charming, incredibly funny. Um, is he gay? He might be gay. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he might be gay. Just the, on the weekends, he is. But he <laughs> is um, absolutely amazing. So Ricky got to do uh, a gig last night in front of uh, like thirty five people. How many yeah. people were there at the Glee Joe? Uh, just short of 150. Like and it's such an amazing room. You must have been buzzing. Uh, yeah. I mean, as I say, that, that the once the show, like it was the second section actually on the Friday when I was like, ah, I'm back. I've worked out how to do this. I can play a room. I can work a, work a crowd. And there was some really fun. So uh, I'd kind of, uh, I'm, I'm probably going to tour next year. And I'm nervous about it because I've got quite a lot of work, like TV work between now and then. And I'm nervous about having enough time to write the show. And I think Joe is actually writing the show as we speak. I can hear <laughs> the small, yeah, the small the click of keyboard. And Joe is currently... I didn't realise that's so weird. No, it's a little packet of miso soup. And I was just... <laughs> that is so amazing. It's, uh, Ricky, did you think that as well? Yeah. Did you think you could hear... It's Wow, that's, if you ever want to fake writing on Zoom, just you do just that. need to get... So the mic must be down there. Hang on, if I go very quiet. Is that what you could hear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it was genuinely, it sounded like tippy tap. It sounded yeah. like you were working on the material. Yeah. For the <laughs> what an artist. Well, maybe the material is miso soup related. I don't know. No, I'm not typing. I, I, would, I wouldn't be so rude. Um, Have you, um, so you're working on the tour. So are you, are you trying to do new stuff? Because that's the other thing. Last night, Ricky did pretty much brand new stuff. Yeah. Um, is that what you are trying to do? Like, were you even though you were comparing the Glee, were you able to try and do new stuff, or did you just mess around? No, I, yeah, I was trying to do new stuff, and I was buoyed by the fact that I kind of wrote stuff on stage that will almost inevitably go into the tour, and so that's really exciting when you're like playing out an idea and seeing where it goes, and the audience chip in with like, because I often will sort of say like, so what I was talking about on on Friday was. Um, uh, trying to be more masculine and trying to mask being be masculine in real life, and uh, we'd just been talking about a chip shop. So I was like, "Oh, if I go into a chip shop, I..." And then I started like talking about the stuff you can order in a chip shop, and people were shouting things out. And then I was sort of building like, "What?" I was like, "What's the most masculine thing you can order in a chip shop?" And people were like, "Savoy." So mm -hmm. oh, no, that's well, that's it. Like, I think Savaloy is pretty gay, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, the chip, like, I was uh, doing the pie, and then I started, like, work, like building on, like, how to be masculine with the pie, and it obviously ended up with me, like, fucking the pie. And, like... <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure that will become a bit of a routine now, and it was just through that night. And that's what I love about live stand-up, and that, um, that is, in, 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 at least for me, integral in terms of building a show is I have to build it with others. And by others, I mean the room that I'm in front of. I'll go in with a, a, a bit of a story, but actually building that story is a collaborative effort. And I couldn't do that in the last 18 months without an audience. And so I was mm. just so excited. And now I just want to do stand-up all, all the time. And I've got to go and film tonight and I'm just kind of bothered. 
Exactly <laughs> <laughs> stand up. Well, because you because when I was talking to the audience last night, just going, "This is my first gig back." Uh, since November but actually since November I've done a lot of TV warm up and mm. I've done TV warm up actually in comedy clubs yeah. so on one side it didn't feel like I had just come back but on the other side I absolutely felt that this was my first real gig since November and it was a small gig and it was a lovely little intimate gig there's something you can do all the funny things that you you do and you can do all the TV shows and you can be funny on those TV shows. There ain't nothing like doing that in a comedy club. Is there? Nah. It's amazing. No, nothing, nothing really compares to it. And I don't know why that is. Like it's, it's, um, it is a properly, uh, special thing. And I think Alistair was talking about this in terms of, um, that feeling of, uh, he said they'd run some gigs on in the afternoon for something. And he said it was like actually people were just a bit too sober and a bit too alert for, mm. for work. And actually there's something about that sort of sweet spot of it being like people have had a drink. It's sort of nighttime. It's Friday, Saturday night vibe that allows the kind of hysteria to kick in, which you just don't get when you watch a Zoom gig or watch stand up on telly or you don't get that feeling of threat or peril or... Um, yeah, it's it's like it's like um, especially with like the outside ones and the Zoom ones because I noticed it's kind of like part of what you're doing is trying to convince people why are they here because yeah. someone who's sitting outside while it might be a bit cold and you know it's getting dark they're kind of thinking like okay is this worth it is my discomfort worth it so you kind of have to overcome that but being inside and having shots with your friends like you're in a good vibe anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's um. It's it. There's no experience like it, and I'm excited for you, Ricky. Um, that you've got all, you've got so many experiences to come, and all these rooms that you wouldn't have played before. And oh boy, oh boy, it's going to be a good time. I know, <laughs> and I think that's what the that's what I'm liking about this podcast because so we did the first. Uh, the first season, the first chapter, and then we had a pause because I was like, no, I want to talk to Ricky about actually doing stand-up. I want this to be a thing where in the preamble we can talk about these gigs and talk about writing. Um, we talked a little bit in the preamble about hack and mm. what's also really nice, um, having Ricky as a friend doing the podcast with Ricky, as someone that's done... I started gigging before Ricky was born, so... <laughs> so there are certain things that we as comedians can kind of take for granted a little bit because we talk about them so much. And one of yeah. them is hack. We talked a little bit about the concept of hack uh, in the preamble. And I asked Ricky, what does he know about hack? And Ricky was like, I've heard the word. I think it's about maybe being a bit derivative or not being original or whatever. What do you think about hack? What do you think hack means to you? Well, it's sort of, um, for me, it's uh, stuff that is done, I suppose, isn't it? It's a kind of, it's cliche, it's uh, hackneyed stuff. Um, I suppose it must come from the word hackneyed. I suppose, I yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't realise that. Let me no, do, I didn't either, of course. Definition of the word hackneyed is. Let me, definition for... Well, God, are you using packets. your miso soup to Google? <laughs> yes, miso, miso soup is the only thing I can use 
having been overused, unoriginal, and trite. Oh, that's nice. Oh, trite. trite. I, I'm, I'm, I'm particularly interested in this at the minute because um, a lot of what I, a lot of how I start gigs, and you do the same, Mark, um, is uh, chatting to the audience. I love speaking to an audience, making something out of a bit of back and forth with an audience member, and. In America, I gather they sort of see that as hack. They sort of think, oh, mm. yeah, anyone can have a little chat with someone, get get to your material. And uh, I didn't really understand that as a thing because I love, like, uh, it, feel, it, it feels sort of when you're going into a room, like you're sort of going into a party and it would be very strange to arrive at a party and say, let me tell you about the death of my father. <laughs> you wouldn't you'd, you'd go in and you'd sort of say, hello, how are you? Nice to meet you. Just sort of, that's how, like, it, I, I, it would feel very strange to me to go on stage and just start material. And sometimes you have to do it for TV gigs, but I generally just avoid like doing those sorts of gigs really because like i much prefer the looseness of going into a room so oh hello i like your top and all that stuff but um i've been in preparation for getting back into stand-up i've been listening to a lot of stand-up um in the car between sort of um you know when i'm traveling between london and birmingham which is where i sort of normally seem to drive and uh list listened to james acaster's latest show which mm. i think is a masterpiece. I think it's probably the best stand-up show I've ever seen. I saw it live in Melbourne and then I got it. it he sells it on Vimeo for a tenner. Yeah. And it's like the easily the best tenner you'll spend on any stand-up. I think it's so um, accomplished and so funny. Um, uh, so I, yeah, I listened to that and then I thought, actually I should listen to m myself afterwards and listen, like see what I'm, done that show for years see how i i haven't done stand-up for years i've sort of forgotten what my act is forgotten who i am so i listened to it and i became very apparent aware of the fact that the first the good 10 15 minutes of my uh last show is audience chat it's just a lot of like hello 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 and that's actually felt like too much to me listening to it back mm. i thought that actually it should be should maybe do like five minutes of that and then be getting into the material. And it felt uh, insubstantial and didn't feel like there was enough um, to it. I wasn't saying enough. I, it sort of felt like I was sort of uh, treading water a little bit. And so I'm wondering whether doing audience interaction in the way that um, I have done in the past is is actually hack and whether they're actually right. And maybe, uh, maybe I should avoid doing that as much as I have in the past. But I do love it. I love pissing about it. Well, I think, do you know what? I think, so first of all, I am definitely always going to defend people chatting to the audience because like, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I have to, because that's what I do. But the conversation we had in the preamble about hack was there can be, there are ideas of hack subjects, airplane food, stoners, sex, and let's put chat in there as well. Yeah. And last night, this came from, because Ricky's got a new bit of material about Peppa Pig. And yeah. the idea of Peppa Pig can be a hack subject, but actually the way Ricky dealt with that subject, he turned it into a discussion on blackface, which is like... Wow. <laughs> 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 the thing is, it was just like it was uh, it was essentially because in an episode of Peppa Pig, they they essentially have an episode where all the kids 
decide to get their faces painted like tigers and they do like impressions of tigers and it's like but no one in the in the world of peppa pig is a tiger so then i just started to make the connection like gradually and gradually yeah, how yeah. we got to like what are they actually saying here and then that's how i have it <laughs> but the thing is people could say that 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 is hack and some comics might go oh i'm not going to touch peppa pig because that's a hack subject and then you turn that into a really good joke and i think chat is the same you might go oh that person chatting and then before you know it you do that chat and something amazing can come out of it something brilliant can come out yeah. of it I, so i think that's really important to keep remembering yeah it really is and and and, and i totally agree that there um i i it's it's not an original thought of mine. Somebody has said in the past, and I can't remember who it is, that there are no hack subjects, just hack material. And I think that's, it's about approaching it with your, I had this a little bit when I did, um, have I got news for you recently? I, I found it quite tricky to work out how to approach it because I watched previous episodes and there's all these like brilliant stand-ups who do loads of political material and they talk about, you know, the news and they, they understand all of the references and whatever. And I'm not that. And part of me was thinking, oh, should, have I, should I have said no to this, actually? Should I, I, I shouldn't really do this show because it's not really me. And then the, I sort of arrived at the decision that actually the only way for me to do it is do it as me. So like, what would I actually, like, um, how would I actually make this my world? So it wasn't mm. about, um, there was, it was to do with um, that week of Stuart Johnson and Cummings falling out and uh, Cummings had written a blog or whatever. And I didn't really have anything fresh or new to say about Bo Joris, Joris Bonson, Boris. <laughs> Joris. Joris, Norris Bonsnoth um, <laughs> and uh, Dominic Cummings. I didn't have any new, anything that anyone else wasn't going to say before me. So the only thing that I could do is make it about my world. So I made it about two friends. I said, oh, I know where this is going because that reminds me of my friend Claire and Steph and they fell out over this or whatever. And you, just, and you take it into your space and make it about your, uh, your world, I suppose. And so... Yeah, there would have been a lot of hack material around that time about those things, but you can still talk about those things in a different way. What is it Quentin Crisp always used to say that um, when you go on a talk show or a chat show, you go on to say the thing you wanted to say, you always go on with what the thing you're gonna say. And it's like when you do an exam in geography when you're at school and you, the night before you research loads about France and then you open the exam and it says, tell us about Germany. And you go, well, Germany's not like France. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly the same. You go into a gig or you go into a, a, a chat show or a, a panel show with exactly the thing that you want to say and you just find your way to it, basically. It's about the links between things, really. It's rather than actually having anything fresh to say. When you go on and you talk about kind of and you say i want to find my way of talking about this yeah we've talked a lot on the podcast uh we talked to finn taylor about this uh, nathan caton about this richardson about finding your voice about so you know who you are as joe lysitz yes when you went back on stage on friday did you discover that what you knew was of joe lysitz had changed in 18 months or did you still feel like you? Yeah, I still felt very much like me because what, what's very strange to me, 
having not done stand-up for a long time, is I am nowhere near as camp as I used to be and mm. nowhere near as camp as I am on stage in real life. Like, when I'm sat in my house, I'm not, like, going over to turn the kettle on going, Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, not, I'm not camp. Like, I, I'm obviously not, like, straight, but I'm not, like... Um, I'm not as I'm not performing in the way that I do on stage and I just hadn't done it for so long and that was one of the weird things listening back to my stand up and what friends of mine tell me particularly friends of mine that know me since before I did stand up is that they they sort of often say like I don't almost don't recognize you because it's you sort of click into this other space and I always sort of felt like oh am I being disingenuous but actually the minute I go on stage that is the natural it's the path of least resistance is to be that like that is me when I'm on stage and then I come off stage and I'm very different, not very different, but like I, you know, I, I'm dialed down a bit, but. I'm um, just to let you know, I've, I have spent time with you in the last 18 months off stage and uh, you are camp. You're still camp off stage. Yeah. Uh, I am. Just, yeah. just not as camp <laughs> as you are on stage. Yeah. Yeah. And actually thinking about, have I got news for you? And thinking about that idea when you said you're not a political comic, like, you're still a bi you're still a pansexual uh, camp man. Like there's still something, uh, I suppose, inherently political about being that. Uh, do you yeah. feel that, Ricky? Being a young black man, even if you're not doing political stuff, is there still political mm. with a little p when you go on stage, or do you just feel like you? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think it's I just feel like me, but because I'm a black person in the UK, that inevitably means I think more about these things than non-black people. And it's like so it's like I'm of like, I'm going to always have an opinion about Black Lives Matter whether it's positive or negative because it directly impacts my life, which is yeah. which is a political thing in and of itself. So, it doesn't mean necessarily that I have to do material about it, but it means that when I'm writing about stuff that I'm thinking about, it inevitably comes out. Yeah. Well, it, it, part of me, I don't think this is the case, it certainly isn't the case with, um, uh, with, with black acts, but with camp, part of the, uh, the whole identity of um, camp is sort of people find it funny in and of itself. Like when mm. you're like being camp, it sort of reminds people of, camp acts of old i suppose but also like it's sort of there is something silly about camp um and so sometimes like i'm trying not to be funny and actually i end up being funnier because <laughs> you don't take me seriously because i'm camp essentially so like it's it, there's there is something um sometimes quite frustrating about that that you know i i in my head like when i go for a jog when in my head i think i'm like this sort of stallion running through Birmingham. <laughs> and actually, I'm sure if I looked at myself across the street, sometimes you do catch yourself in like the in the window of a whatever, and you're like, oh, I'm just a fucking puff. I'm just <laughs> 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 around. No one's taking him him seriously. Um but yeah, it's your identity uh, is sort of you know, those first 10 seconds when you go on stage when people go like, oh, okay, so he's, you know tall and uh, fat or thin or, you know, black or white or whatever it is, all of these decisions are being made in the audience's head about what they're expecting from your act and what you're going to say. And then actually diverting that is is the challenge, isn't it? It's sort of 
going, oh, you think this thing, but actually I'm going to take you over here. That's what I, that, that's the most exciting stuff I'm working on at the minute is me talking about wanting to have sex with women because I'm not gay, I'm, you know, pansexual. And mm. how that jars with the audience's idea of what I am. And then me using very masculine, almost sexually aggressive language uh, sort of makes the audience, it really doesn't, like this, 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 this circle doesn't go in the square hole, you know, it's mm-hmm. like it really jars with people. And that's a real joy to play with actually. Yeah. The thing is though, like with the concept of hack, cause obviously I knew what it is, but I never really had to deal with it because I'm just anything and everything that I think about. That's funny. I'm just like, please just anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I can't, I can't turn down jokes yet, but like, <laughs> it, it's like, it, 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 isn't it kind of, uh, a, a comics thing because like an audience, unless they're really, really like, stand-up comedy every week or as much as possible they might not really uh, get that something is hack or really associate with it so isn't it something that it's something that comics do to each other rather than an audience to comics thing it's definitely an, a comics um concern yeah and and but i think audiences are savvy to it in um if, if you if you go on and start doing material that peter k could have done 10 years ago, people will go, they won't know the terms necessarily, but they'll be like, mm, this, this guy's sort of doing stuff that I feel like I've heard before and, and maybe not necessarily go with you in, in the way that they might with a fresh take on something. I um, did, um, uh, in 2011, I did a show called uh, Mark Olver Portrait of a Serial Killer, where <laughs> I basically uh, wrote a show as if I'd got into stand-up, not because I loved stand-up, but because I wanted to kill people. And it was a really good alibi to kill people. And as part of that show, I decided to write myself a bit of hack material, in inverted commas, as the type of stuff that I did because I thought I could get away with it as a stand-up. Yeah. So I wrote this stuff about... uh, (laughs) about, I can't believe I'm saying this, because I... but. I wrote this stuff about being old and I wrote this stuff about VHS players because Mm. I wrote this bit about the idea of a hack comedian in the sort of the 2010s would do a bit about, oh, you know, DVDs are coming in now. I remember VHS players back in the day. And I deliberately wrote it as a hack piece of material. But then I discovered really quickly that it was a piece of material that worked really well (laughs) in normal clubs. So actually of that show, the only bit that survives is the (laughs) bit I wrote specifically as hack material. And then it grew into, and I do it, I do it in warm up quite a lot. I do it in, uh, and I'll just, and, and there's a line in it where, if I'm in a crowd and there's lots of older people in the crowd and there's some young people, I'll go, I'll go, what, you're 23? What, so you've never driven a car with a choke? And the audience find that the funniest thing in the world. Yeah. But I wrote it specifically as a parody of hack material. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's it's, often your intention with stuff... uh, isn't what it, the reality of it is, is <laughs> no. to write a show. 
But I, 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 I like what you said, um, Ricky, about, uh, you know, you can't afford to choose with your jokes because I feel I've, over 10 years of doing it, I feel exactly the same. The minute mm. I'm getting laughs, I'm like, right, well, that's in. You know, it's I'm not, <laughs> I don't have an abundance of material by any means. I'm always scraping away to get new stuff. It's, it takes me so long and I find it so, I'd love to find an easier way of writing stand-up, but I just never have. It always takes me ages and always is awkward and difficult and, yeah. Do we know anyone who's got an easier way of writing stand-up? Do any of our friends have an easier way? I can't think. Well, Rob Beckett always sort of talks about how, like, he just sort of, he it, it, it doesn't seem to have any kind of friction with his writing. He just sort of sits really? there and writes. And I know uh, Jimmy Carr has this thing of, um, what does he say? It's like, um, I don't write because I need to uh, write jokes. I write because it's 9am and that's the time for writing. You know, it's like he just gets up and he sits and he mm. writes. And that's, it's not, um, it's not about uh, creating a volume of stuff. It's just like, just write. And I know a lot of designers and artists will talk about, you know, inspiration and how that's a bit of a, um, uh, it, it just doesn't really exist. You can't wait for inspiration. You do just have to start mm. making things. And that, and that is my experience. But for some reason, writing stand-up, because it's just so trial and error I just find it so difficult. <laughs> I just don't want to do it. I always like yeah. to start to do stand-up and start looking at the screen and go, oh, God. But I am trying a new technique, which is to write my routines out like their stories as if they're a short story, and then seeing if I can almost read that out from the page uh, and and see if that works. That's a, that's a new approach, which I'm going to attempt at new material gigs, but it might not work. But I just feel like I'd like to be more efficient with my new material gigs and often I just go in and do the same old stuff that I've done before uh, and, and then occasionally throw in a new gag here and there. And actually, I'd like to go out and do, you know, a full new 20 and see what lands and what doesn't. But there's this instinct in me, which is like, if they're not laughing, it's to like click into like make them laugh and prove that you can do mm. it. And it's, it's resisting that instinct. Um, I love the fact that uh, this chat started with you going, I loved it. I'm so glad to be back. I can't wait to do more. I just want to do stand-up. And then literally 35 minutes later, you're like, oh, God, I have to write it and I hate it. Oh, yeah. I have to drag well, myself. I love performing it. Once it's written, I love all that. That's the, that's the, that's the treat. Uh, it's the writing of it, which is the bit that I, yeah, I've, n I've never managed to, like, uh, really truly enjoy that process and feel mm. like I'm in control of it or that um, you know I can I that, that I can do it I suppose I've never felt like I can do that I feel like Ricky I, we we spoke in the preamble it. about the about the Peppa Pig stuff and mm. you and how you wrote it and your Google Docs and and all that yeah. sort of stuff did you enjoy it did you in, actually physically enjoy doing that Inter yeah, I think, oh God, it's kind of like a love-hate thing because cause it's like there's this book called like, is it The War of Art or something? Like it's about how, it's kind of like what Jimmy is saying there where it's like you just get up every day and you write because that's what you do and you're just yeah. a writer. So it's like I, I listened to that and I was like, oh, yeah, this is like, this is essentially just what I do because I'm a stand-up comedian. So yeah. I kind of force myself to just get there and write it. But for something like with the Peppa Pig thing, 
because for some reason I had a passion for this subject. I was like, it was just coming out of me because I was, these are things that I've always thought. And it's also because because my sisters like just had a baby. These are all like kind of jokes that we say to each other. And it's kind of like yeah. a running joke in our house. So I was having fun writing it. But most of the time it's work. Like it's not just always enjoyable. Yeah. And how does that make you feel after doing 22 gigs? Are you regretting it? Because when people watch, because <laughs> when people watch stand up, they're like, oh, wow, this is brilliant. What a laugh. And then you, and then we realize that like whenever I do admin and I'm, you know, and, and I have a lot of admin days, you don't realize when you start doing stand up how much of your life is going to be like not stand up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, the way I see it, it's like eating your vegetables before you eat the rest of the meal. Because like the harder and more painful the writing is, the better it feels once it works, like the yeah. new material. Because I, for me, it's like, I feel I have, I have 10 minutes that I'm pretty confident works. And I know if it doesn't work, I can make it work on stage. And it's like, I've done it loads and loads and loads. But it's like, it doesn't feel as nice when I do that than when I do like what I did last night, which was have new material and just hope for the best. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a bit, it's kind of a bit of both, isn't it? Cause you, that's one thing as well is when, when I've been on tour and I, um, you know, to, towards the end of the tour, uh, the 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 performing of it starts to become more arduous because you don't mm. feel creatively like you're doing anything. You just sort of feel like you're a conduit to jokes you wrote two years ago. Mm. And actually, it is that sweet spot of for me of like getting a show together. Uh, it's normally like kind of a third of the way into the tour where I'm like, ah, this show is now fluent and I'm starting to kind of really feel like I know what it is and um uh and I know you know if I if I get interrupted I know where I can get how I can get back to that and I know how to play with this show a bit and then by the end of the tour you decide oh this fucking routine again you listen <laughs> but then there are nights where they're really tricky as an audience and you're not really getting them and you're really reliant on that. You know, there's that routine that's really funny and you, it'll pull them back. And so you're really grateful for all the work that you put into that one routine because uh, that night you really need it. And then other times, you know, they're just sort of laughing at everything and you're like, oh, I don't really, you know, they're just laughing at this a bit as well. You know, it's sort of, um, it's, it's, it's never, it's never um, not surprising. It's always... Mm. That's that, and that is the main thing that I kind of love about it is that you can't fluke it. You do have to sort of fucking work. You know, it's um... yeah, yeah. I think that's why that surprise thing is the thing because when people talk about going back to that idea of chatting to the audience, and I know what my words are going to be. I know what my stories are. I know when I'm doing a routine. I know what's going to happen a minute's time in two minutes time. Yeah. When you talk to the audience, when you're asking them questions, you have no idea what's going to happen. Like last mm. night, talking to people about swimming, like <laughs> I, I had this. I had a moment. <laughs> Basically, Joe, I am 46 years old and I can't swim. Um. It, I didn't realise until last night that almost everyone under the age of 30 can swim. Yeah, I'm, I'm weirdly, I'm a trained swimming instructor. N what the <laughs> fuck? Yeah. Are you really? Yeah. What? 
<laughs> before uh, I've known you for a very long time. How did this information not come out? I know. Um, yeah, I love swimming, and yeah, got um, uh, one of the things I thought I might enjoy doing is teaching people to swim. So I trained, did like a kind of two week course in it, and um, and then I did maybe. Three weeks doing it and was like, don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> because of all those people drowning. Yeah, like, there was loads of drowning, and <laughs> I, you know, I didn't. It wasn't really my. It didn't go with my aesthetic, you know. <laughs> I said last night, uh, I, I did steal the line from Alex Kitson, who was on, uh, oh, because yeah. just because someone told me uh, Jesse Nixon, who was on, went, "What do you mean you can't swim? Everyone under the age of thirty can swim." Yeah. Uh, it was part of the curriculum. And Alex Kitson went, yeah, because people discovered everyone was drowning. And I thought, (laughs) (laughs) I said that on stage. And it's like, I think I can probably turn that into a routine. I've never done Mm. anything about not being able to swim before. Yeah. Um, but and actually, Matt Ewins can't swim either. So Matt Ewins, who's Zoom I am on. uh, So, uh, and we live... Matt Ewins can't swim. We live quite close to a river as well. So, but how uh, old is Matt Ewins? Uh, Thirty-two. He should be able to swim. <laughs> yeah, he's Matt Ewins though. Like normal rules don't apply to him. No, that's true. <laughs> I imagine he's the sort of person who doesn't think he can swim, and then when he gets into the water, he has like he's invented an entirely new stroke, and it's <laughs> faster than anything else that anyone else, or maybe not faster, but it's sort of it's more, more efficient. Off more something than everyone else. Yes, no, yeah, it's slower than every other stroke, but beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> something like that, won't it? But yeah, but that I suppose that's the process. And and talking about that bit, like that's why we love live gigs, right? Because we can do that in the room and you only need to have one little nugget of that that can then... So uh, the next gig I do, which is on Saturday, so, and then I've got another gig on the Sunday. And Ricky, you're doing Saturday as well, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, the 29th. <laughs> um, what was it like uh, after the Saturday night when you had had finished? And Ricky, what was it like? What was it like last night? Because I went home. Yeah. Um, uh, there were people drinking because they were quite excited. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. But you went home. Were you buzzing last night? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was buzzing. Like, I was gonna, I was actually gonna take one of the e scooters home, but then, you know, I just walked because I was like, yeah, I've got the energy to take on the hills of Bristol. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But it was a lot, it was a lot of fun. Like, I just noticed as I was leaving, people were just ordering shots because they're just looking for any socially acceptable reason to get drunk, essentially. Yeah. Uh, Morgan Reese, who's a, uh, I don't know if you met, but wonderful uh, comic who lives in Bristol, was just walking around all night with a strawberry daiquiri in each hand. <laughs> just like, I did not see him uh, without double strawberry dacks all evening. That, I mean, I did, uh, yesterday I did a Q&A with Jess Phillips, the um, Birmingham MP. And we did it at like half one. And I mentioned this sh- shot called a Craig David on stage, which is... Um, like a, it's a shot of tequila followed immediately by a shot of pineapple. And um, uh, yeah, they brought one on stage for us. Then they brought me a cocktail. Then I had a beer. Then when we came off stage, somebody brought me another shot. And by three o'clock yesterday, I was gone. 
like <laughs> completely wrecked. But I'd been drinking. That's one thing that I, um, uh, when I particularly when I play the Glee, I get a bit giddy and I end up drinking loads. And I normally drink loads in the first section and then sort of start to get a bit hungover in the second and third sections. <laughs> and that's definitely, definitely what happened this weekend. So by the end of Saturday, I was exhausted actually. But you've gone through stages and phases of of not drinking too much when you're working because I yeah. suppose it just knackers you out, right? Yeah, I just can't sustain the energy. It's, it's the sort of sh blood sugar goes all over the place. But mm. yeah, on Friday, Saturday night, comparing. So you want to have that like loose feel. You want to kind of whatever. I, yeah, definitely. There's a sweet spot of a couple of pints where you're in a good place for stand up. Uh, the problem is, is that I'm, once I'm in that sweet spot, I want to stay in that sweet spot loads right now and drink. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's tricky. Um, what was it like? Because this is the other thing. We talk about comedy all the time. We talk about being comics all the time. But the thing that, that made me slightly emotional looking at pictures of gigs getting ready to come back is that We've been doing this on Zoom. We've been able to chat to other comics. We've been, but the staff have just been waiting yeah. for their clubs to reopen. Ah. The bar, like they must have been absolutely over the moon, right? Yeah, there's a lot of emotion. Yeah, a lot of people, um, yeah, who were working at the venues, just sort of saying like how how kind of moving it was to have people back in their venues and. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 an inherently, in a world that doesn't do it that often these days, it's an inherently sociable uh, collective experience. And, um, yeah, a lot of people have missed that a lot. Mm. I can't wait to gig with you again. I mean, we see each other a lot in TV studios, but we don't see each other enough in, no. in gigs where we can mess about where you can just, there's nothing like it, is there? No, no. And it's, what I love as well is that thing when you're working with other comics where you're pissing about with a routine and then you come off and somebody says, oh, have you thought about here saying this? And you go, no, I haven't. And thank you. You've completed <laughs> the puzzle for me. And um, you just don't get that anywhere else. Basically, I want you to write the routine for me when I can. <laughs> I mean, Ricky is currently accepting offers for the Peppa Pig routine, so... Yeah, 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 All the offers. Well, um, it's funny you mention that. I've got a thing uh, with Peppa Pig on my Channel 4 show at the minute, because they do... Of course. It's very different to what, you are, uh, what your material is. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, I have not gone down the blackface route with <laughs> yet. yet. Yes. Yeah. But they, they sell, Heinz do a um, pepper pig for kids uh, pasta shapes in tomato sauce. And they advertise it as one of your five a day. And somebody got in touch with us to say that they think this is uh, misleading because uh, it's not health. It's, it's sort of essentially presenting itself as a healthy meal. And it's not mm. healthy. But actually, technically, it is one of your five a day because there's 82 grams of tomato in every tin. <laughs> oh, um, wow. Despite it being like surrounded with salt and sugar and you know, carbohydrate. <laughs> um, so it is, you know, they can legally say it's one of your five a day. So I, I've been sort of trying to um, put pressure on Heinz and Peppa Pig to be a bit more uh, honest, I suppose, with how they label their. But it's, yeah, I'm not sure I'll be able to crowbar in the blackface stuff. 
into that. Though. Do you think they would ever do a Heinz beans pepper big special with pork sausages? Because that would just be. <laughs> I mean, that's dark, right? That's, that's dark. That's beautiful, man. It's dark. <laughs> Made me a bit it's, emotional. Yeah. Uh, it's what I love about these things because it's like, even though it's such like a bright and colorful TV show, it's still like a multi-million dollar like conglomerate. Oh, that's it. Like, it's this huge thing. and But it's presented to kids, and yet they're also trying to present to kids that it's healthy to have tins of... All you need is five tins of... Heinz Pepper Pig. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't quite um, like that, does it? I, uh, I, I've loved this show. I've loved, like, everything. I, I just get so excited by stand-up. <laughs> I just yeah. kind of, I just cannot wait. The worst thing about last night is, uh, I, actually, I am gigging. I'm gigging tomorrow night. I'm uh, oh. I'm at the code to support in Russell Howard. So I just had that realisation that I'm like, oh, shit, no, I don't have to wait until Saturday. I could do it again. So, <laughs> um yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, Ricky, uh, I always say this because I always kind of want to make sure that you get everything from uh, these chats with these magnificent people. Was there anything else you wanted to ask Joe or say to Joe before uh, we let him go and make shit? I'm guessing you're making, <laughs> making shit, right? Making shit. Yeah, I'm actually, I've got a, I'm driving to Cornwall uh, after I love you and leave you. So I'll pass by Bristol. I'll give you a wave out the window. So are you filming tomorrow? Filming tomorrow and all of this week uh, doing, there's this new thread on Joe Lysett's Got Your Back, which is called Joe Lysett Touches the Nation, (laughs) Uh, where we go and help. um, So I was keen on this series. On previous series, most of our stories, if not all of them, have been about taking on a bad company and exposing them and humiliating them. And I was keen after the pandemic to actually promote some good stuff as well. So as well as doing... Um, you know, taking on some of those bad companies, actually going like, oh, there's a, a positive thing we can do here that can promote something that's good mm. or a small business that's been struggling, that kind of thing. So we're doing, we're filming some of those. We're going to touch the nation. <laughs> Amazing. Um, Joe, thank you. Thank you. Really nice to meet you, Ricky. Yeah, thanks and so much, Joe. I'll be kicking with the both of you at some point soon. Um, yes, no, we will, uh, our paths will uh, inevitably cross very soon. I may well get in touch with you because Bristol's not too tricky for old Joe and it's new material gigs that I'm after, really. Yeah, no, come and uh, come and play. Yeah, I will come and play then. Take care, bards. Thanks, Thanks a lot, Joe. Bye. Nice meeting you. Bye-bye. Um, that was the wonderful Joe Lysis. That was delightful. Great, isn't it? Yeah, no, he is uh, He is a man, I don't even know if we'll put this in the pod, but, but he is definitely a man who, uh, he's one of the good guys. He works hard, he's really funny, yeah. he's really nice. It's what I always say about uh, comedy, work hard, be funny, be nice. Joe is, boom, all yeah, of those. Yeah, definitely, you can tell. Um, so this is it. Uh, we usually end the podcast with the end of the interview, but I say, uh, let's mix it up for season two and go we've got gigs this week so the next time you hear this podcast we will hopefully have more things to talk about always always every time to talk about so if you like the podcast you know subscribe on spotify on apple podcast do all the classic stuff you love and uh, say hello to us. Say say hello to us on the twitter and all that sort of stuff uh, any questions we're doing another one of those um 
all questions answered things uh, in the next couple of weeks with another famous comic. So any of your questions, and do us a favour, if you are listening to this and you want to send a question, can you try and make that question not about how do I earn money? <laughs> um, <laughs> just... Just try and mix it up. Yeah. Mix it up a little bit. You've got more chance of getting on if your question isn't, I'm skin, I want some money. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Ricky, I will speak to you very soon, bud. Yeah, it's oh, been captain, fun, man. My captain. No worries. I'll speak to you very soon. Oh, captain, my Peace, captain. Um,